I'm Lindsay with Wild Root Flower Company. And I'm Shannon from Bloom Hill Farm. Over the last six years, we've leaned on each other as we grew our farms into the profitable six-figure farms they are today. We want you to join us each week as we have real, honest conversations about life and business. And we promise you'll leave feeling inspired and your farming toolbox will be filled with actionable strategies you can implement at any stage in your business. Learn from our mistakes as we talk business, marketing, and growing techniques to help you create the farm of your dreams. So let's roll up our sleeves and get the dirt on flowers. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Dirt on Flowers. I, uh, Shannon, I got to tell you, mm-hmm. I did a serious radio farming interview. Like oh, radio. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was fun. Yeah. But it's uh, used to being on a platform like a podcast where you can yeah. pause and edit. They're yeah. like, there's no editing. Like they prep you beforehand and all of this stuff. It was very fly by the seat of your pants. Oh, fun. You would be good at that though. I, but I have to tell you what he said. Okay. <laughs> so they asked for like some facts about you and then they do a little bit of research, right? So he pulled, they pulled in a few things, but they said he made a reference that flower farmers are like CrossFitters and vegan. Like that's all that they want to talk, vegans. That's all they want to talk what? about. And I'm like, I have, I said, I have a feeling about this. Like I, he's just, he, and I said, what do you really? mean? He said, yeah. He said, you put, you flower farming people in a room. That's all you guys talk about. You won't talk about anything else. And there is some, there is some truth to that. But what else are we supposed to be talking about? I, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I, know, I told him I had a podcast. He goes, I don't know why you'd want to do that. He also has a podcast, but he was very funny. Like <laughs> he had this real energetic, like radio voice, and oh, I know he was he was very funny. But I was like nervous the the whole time. You know, like I can't mess up. They're asking you questions, and they say like you can't tell long stories because they oh. said there's like a seven minute bit, a nine mm-hmm. minute bit, and then an eight minute. bit bit and then they break for commercials and stuff and so yeah it was just an interesting it was an interesting experience (laughs) I know we're a good good and passionate group that's right so we like talking about what we do it's not bad I know I know but I have made jokes about crossfitters sorry for you crossfitters out there because oh I am not a crossfitter no no, no, but there is, there's a joke that, um, is out there about, I think that another group is, uh, airline or is pilots. They say like, how do you know somebody's a pilot? And you say, wait 30 seconds and they'll tell you. They'll tell you. And it's like, <laughs> it's kind of the same with us flower farmers. We sure, <laughs> we sure like to talk about it, but. It's an interesting pilot joke. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that a good joke? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a loaded <laughs> joke. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. But it was fun. It was fun to get to talk to Good. another, you know, other people, other farmers and yes. stuff, which, which is what we're doing today. Yes. I feel like we're kind of big time. And now that we get like actual people <laughs> interviews on this podcast, I'm, I'm liking it. I know. Um, so some, some good ones. I mean, this is a good really one. We've got good some good one. ones coming up. I know. You know, it's exciting. I know. We've been throwing around names. We also would we'd yeah. love to hear like, who do you want to hear from too? Like you yes. can always happen to throw us some names for, you know, people you'd want to hear from. But we've been talking about this name for a while. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to Margolin from Leo Burby, and she happened to say that Daniel from Petal Pickers was listening to the podcast. And I said, huh? He listens to the podcast, <laughs> you know? Um, and so it, for some reason, I don't know why I'm always like shocked that, you know, 
people anybody, are listening. Anybody listens? Yes, did anybody listen? Anybody. So when I hear this name, I'm like, oh, okay. And so that sparks <laughs> me. I was like, we need to reach out to him to have him on here. Yeah. So today we have Daniel Shavy from Petal Pickers Flower Co. with us, and we're going to be talking about the evolution of his business and how he runs it. We're even going to be talking about shipping flowers. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Hey, Shannon. Hey, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat about what we're up to at Petal Pickers. Yeah, so excited to have you here. And he's no stranger to podcasts because his husband runs, he also has a podcast, right? He was telling you before we chat, before we like kind of got rolling. Yeah, my husband, Wesley Turner at Farm Shenanigans on Instagram, him and his business partner also have a podcast called Who's Driving? And it's about entrepreneurship and just kind of day-to-day life. It's a real casual mix, but they're a lot of fun. So it's a good listen. Yeah. Very cool. I'll have to check that out. I know. That's what I said. I always love listening to... It's probably a great podcast because we get so much feedback from the listeners when we just talk. Like when we're not teaching anything, they're like, oh, that was such a good episode. Like the (laughs) Halloween episode where we were just you know, telling stories. Like they have been messaging us like, you should tell stories about this. You should tell stories about this. So I bet that's a great, I bet that's an easy listen. That's a nice. So does Wes farm? No, not at all. Absolutely not. And I was joking the other day, he also does live sales. And so like, he'll be doing his thing and I'll just pop in the background and be like, Hey, what's up everyone? You know, trying to get in on the mix. But I was joking to all his followers because I think this year he only like walked the entire farm maybe six times. And literally we live right now. The only thing that's separating our house from the farm is the driveway. So (laughs) that's wild. But I bring, I did a lot better this year at bringing flowers indoors for him to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And he loves, you know, the flowers he thinks are beautiful and he's the most supportive person that I have in my life for the flower farm. Oh, that's nice. He doesn't love the heat. He doesn't (laughs) like to get sweaty. And (laughs) he just lets me do all the work and then he gets to enjoy it. Yeah. Well, (laughs) tell us like, just tell us a little bit about your farm. Sure. So I will start at the beginning. I graduated college when I was 22 and really didn't know where I was going to go. After that, so I had a few random jobs. I had a business degree, no horticultural experience, and worked a few jobs. And then I met Wes, my husband. He wanted to open up a garden center. So that's his experience. He has a degree in horticulture, but every time I ask him a question, he doesn't have an answer for me. (laughs) This is suspicious. Where's this Mississippi State? So we need to reach out to them and see who's teaching. Yes. But I met him and he was ready to start his own business. He's always been an entrepreneur. That's like in his blood. Whereas I've kind of learned from him, you know, how to run Mm -hmm. our own business. But I jumped on board within the first year of us dating. We opened a little plant boutique in Greenville, South Carolina, where we sold house plants and a little bit. It was eclectic. We had some home decor in there and then we had an outdoor area in the back. So for a few years, I would go to people's homes or businesses and do the whole container gardening thing. And I would charge a lot of money 
to do like high-end installations at uh, larger homes or, you know, if a corporate building had large planners out front, I would do those. Yeah. And so that was my intro to horticulture. I got to the point where I was ordering the shrubs in for the outdoor area and just by doing little tasks like that, you really learn so much about the industry, learning about how wholesale worked. We actually didn't sell any cut flowers for the first seven years. So it wasn't until we bought a farm. Wes had grown up in the country and just always wanted animals. And that's what brought us to buying a piece of land and moving out of the city. And I was just on board for all of it. That's kind of always been my attitude. Like, all right, that sounds fun. It's a new experience. You know, I grew up in the suburbs or near a big city. I grew up near Charlotte, North Carolina. And so living out in the country was all new to me. You know, I was scared when we first moved to the farm, like people were in the woods waiting to get, (laughs) you get over that quickly. So we moved to the farm I get on Instagram, right? Because I did have vegetable gardens and I was growing stuff from seed and we owned the retail store, which was very plant oriented. So I had grown sunflowers in my backyard in the city Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. cut them and taken them to sell at our store. But I didn't know there was such thing as a pollenless sunflower. I didn't know there was Mm -hmm. the right harvest stage. It was very amateur. And so we moved to the farm. We had a big holiday wreath business at our retail store. We were just in the right market and we were selling, we got up to selling 1200 wreaths every holiday season. We would rent like an event tent for our outdoor area, clear out all the shrubs. We'd have seven employees, seven people, including myself, selling wreaths, garland. I would hand make the most gorgeous garlands you've ever seen and sell it for like $25 a foot. And then people would buy 20 yards of it. I mean, it was a good business. When you, when Ling was that, like what year, but when did you like buy your farm time-wise? Yeah, we bought the farm in 2016. So that's when we bought it. And then in 2017, I did, that was my trial year where I planted everything in spring and it all bloomed in July when I got back from vacation. (laughs) We all have that year. Oh, I feel that. Yes. (laughs) I was just providing flowers for our store. It was a total trial Mm -hmm. year. And it wasn't until 2018 that I really got it together and started selling to florists and event florists in my area. Cool. Wow. Yeah. So you don't do the Christmas thing anymore? Yeah. Just curious. No, we have shut it down. We've since moved our retail store just to a new building three doors down. It doesn't have an outdoor area, but as Wes manages the retail stores and as his business has expanded, we've, and we've gotten older, we've really tried to focus and make things simpler so that we have a life. So for many years, we were just workaholics around the clock. We didn't have kids. We'd be at the store till two in the morning, Mm -hmm. resetting the shelves, restocking stuff. And just as stuff grows, you become more efficient. You want that quality of life again. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's also the same evolution as any flower farmer is going to go through, right? Like Mm -hmm. I've now been growing for seven years on the farm. 
And I'd say the first five years I was running around like a maniac, just mm-hmm. planting everything, growing everything, yep. um, trying to set up the infrastructure. If, if there was any amount of time I could be on the farm working on a project, you know, I did that. Yeah. And then year six got a little better, year seven, even better. So your retail businesses are separate, right? Like your retail businesses are not part of Petal Pickers. They're, they're separate. Yes. Okay, that's right. They're separate business entities. I sell my cut flowers to the retail store. They write me a check. Gotcha. Okay. So. Okay. You're so wise. You you were yeah. saying all these wise things and you look like you were born in the 90s. So I'm just, <laughs> you're maturing. Well, so I well. really appreciate that. <laughs> I, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see I always wear this huge hat and just lather myself in sunscreen. And my employees think I'm crazy. <laughs> But I wear long sleeves and pants during the day. And we're in South Carolina. It is basically a jungle out here in the summer. Um, (laughs) But just, I got to stay out of the sun. That, you know. Mm -hmm. It ages you. Yeah. So what does the farm look like now? Like where it stands now as far as like acreage and greenhouses? Do you, do you greenhouse grow? So like, like give us a little bit of a snapshot because it was just so interesting to see like and a lot of people who are listening are like in those beginning stages. So I think it's so nice for them to see like what you've evolved to now. Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. I'm really proud of our farm. Like I said, no horticultural experience mm-hmm. starting off, no farming background. I mean, if you would have asked me, I was going to be a farmer. That's the last thing <laughs> I ever thought I would be. Yeah. And so our farm's located in Greenville, South Carolina. We're in the upstate. We're directly in between Charlotte and Atlanta to give you an idea on a map. Um, It's about two hours to both of those cities. But Greenville is a medium-sized city. We have a good population. And what I'm most proud about about Greenville as a city is our customers and people that live here really want to support small business. And I think that's hard to find in a lot of places. And so we've just seen that through our retail stores and through the farm as well. People want to support us because we're doing our thing locally. We grow on, our farm is 14 acres, it's split in half with the driveway. So I have eight acres dedicated to cut flower production. And okay. I can, I'm allowed to plant whatever I want in those eight <laughs> acres. <laughs> Inside the deer fence, we have heavy, heavy oh. deer pressure on our farm. But we don't have moles or voles or they're around. They're just, I've never seen one on our farm. We have a lot of cats and I think that mm-hmm. helps. We have, I started in maybe year three, I put up our first high tunnel. And with starting a new farm, you know, this isn't an established business. It's been around a long time. So you have to count the pennies. And we started with a farmer's friend high tunnel. And mm-hmm. what I realized is that being in the South, And just where our farm is located, kind of south of the mountains, we're kind of protected. So we don't get a lot of wind and we have nice four seasons. Nothing's too extreme. Even in the summer, we're so hot and humid, but it's not extreme. We're really not getting into like 100 degree territory. We're more around 90 degrees all summer. Um, And with the Farmer's Friend High Tunnels, I felt like they really did great. Like. I thought in my head I needed this super expensive $25,000 high tunnel. Mm -hmm. And what I realized with the farmer's friend 
tunnels is that's really all I needed to grow my early spring crops and stuff for later in the season. Mm -hmm. So I built nine more. We now have farmer spring high tunnels on our farm. We have the first five are the, mm, the rounded tunnels. I can't think Mm -hmm. of the name. And then Mm -hmm. the newest five are the Gothic pro that kind of have a point at the top. Mm-hmm. We don't get a lot of snow in in our climate. Last year, it actually did not even snow, which that's rare. Usually we get flurries or up to six mm-hmm. inches of snow here and there. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of wow. our farm. Yeah. Yeah. So you have all eight, all eight acres is planted out in flowers that you have. It is. So- and it's kind of done by season or mm-hmm. like we have a gotcha. field that's just annuals. And then- we have a field that's just peonies. We have a field that's just dahlias. So we grew 20,000 dahlias last year. We have three, about 3,500 peonies planted, just wow. to throw out some numbers. And yeah, that's a lot. And then we have a couple flex spaces in our tunnels. So you know, we, cool. when we had the farm, we had the land cleared because it used to be a farm, but the previous owner before us just never even mowed out there. So it was mm-hmm. all invasive trees that had grown up and stuff, but we left a lot of trees like maples and we have a natural spring that runs through the center of the farming side. We left up cedars and oak trees so it's not just a wide open space either. So mm-hmm. when I say eight Beautiful. acres, I know that sounds like a lot, but we left some natural habitats kind of here and there, which yeah. get in my way when I want to build a new high <laughs> tunnel or something. But I just work around it and I think it adds charm to the farm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh so my gosh. Who do you, how many people do you have working for you? Like who helps you, you know, on the farm manage all those 20,000 values? Holy cow. Exactly. Yes, we have this year we had seven employees. And so I have two employees that have been here. They're going on their third season and I do rely, I lean on them heavily. They've kind of moved into their own roles here on the farm where they have their own list of things that they take care of. And, you know, I don't have to worry about that except just check in now, now and then. So I have Three employees are working like 30 plus hours a week. That's 30 to 40, depending if they want to work. Our work week um, is set up like Monday through Thursday with a Friday being for some of the employees who want 40 hours a week. And so we get everything done that we're going to do on the farm Monday through Friday. I do also, part of the seven employees that we have, The other four are part-time, so they may only work two days a week. They may only work mornings, like Monday through Wednesday, Mm -hmm. harvesting flowers. But that has really been important. And every year, honestly, I've hired different types of people and have different schedules for them to see what works. And what works best for me is having full-time employees because They're dedicated. They know what's going on day to day. They don't need to be filled in. You know, I've had a lot of employees that I just hired two days a week and they have no clue what's going on when they come to work. Every day they show up, they're just, they know they need to cut flowers, but they don't know (laughs) anything else and they have to be filled in. Yeah. 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 So 
we could go into employee management. A lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good overview. We could. Yeah. 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 Employees, full-time employees, are, they're, there is something about being kind of grooved in that makes it easier. Part-time yes. definitely has their place because, you know, those little fill-in spots, they're super, they're very helpful. Um, but for management standpoint, it's a lot, they're a lot easier to manage um, as a full-time employee for sure. Yeah, our, our farm's not in a big agricultural area, which is mm-hmm. kind of surprising up here. It's a lot of manufacturing. Um, and I think it just goes back to, we have a lot of old mills. This part of the country was big textile industry um in the past and so even for me to find like a feed-in seed i have to drive like 45 minutes to an hour off away from the farm we don't have we do have a tractor supply but it's not close to the farm and as far as employees go i have put out ads online for a farm manager and i'm not sure that many I think there are only a handful of people that live anywhere close to my farm that would have that title. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's been something yeah. interesting that I I think people don't think about. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to operate and run this farm, but we're not in an agricultural area. So yeah. Yeah. there's some key components that I'm just going to have to train someone and learn as I go yeah. is versus being able to put the money up front and hire a salaried farm manager who honestly could, that would have been nice. And they could have taught me a lot of things along the way. (laughs) I like that you said earlier, like we didn't start with any horticulture experience, but there's somebody at Mississippi state that's questioning your husband's horticulture degree right now. (laughs) He's done, he's done a couple things that really (laughs) saved my butt, but I really wanted to plant like hundreds of roses and he nixed that idea so fast. Yeah. He was like, not in South Carolina, not for what you're trying to do. You can grow roses here, but not for yeah. what I'm trying to do. And so he saved me a lot of money there. When I brought up the idea to grow pansies as a cut flower yeah. mm-hmm. and petunias as a cut flower, he was like, do you know how much fungicides they have to spray on pansies in the greenhouses for bedding yeah. plants? And I'm like, no, I didn't know that. So yeah. <laughs> there's been a few things like I've never tried to grow those because he's just like, don't do yeah. it. Yeah. You know? oh, so, <laughs> so where are you selling your flowers? Like what would you, where would you say your primary revenue streams are? I mean, I think like 3,500 peonies. I mean, that's a lot of stems. So I'm just like curious as to where where you're selling all of these. So not everything's mature in the peony mm-hmm. world. So we had like... 350 were six years old and we just dug those up this fall and divided them up. Ooh, <laughs> I'm like thinking long-term oh, nice. game. Yes. Oh yeah. Years. So this year we're going to have less peonies than normal. Yeah. We cast a wide net. So we do sell to our retail store, but honestly it's a small business in a neighborhood part of town. You know, that's not making payroll for us here at the farm. So we, as the farm started to grow, we casted a wide net. We, I, I went around in my van when I had a crop full of beautiful, gorgeous Lysianthus and was just taking armloads to the brick and mortar florist around town. And I stopped by all of those places and really didn't hear much in return. I would get a few small orders here and there, but we, I quickly realized these people want the same product. And if it doesn't last two weeks in their cooler, 
yeah, that's not, I'm really not producing anything that they're going to buy on a weekly basis, which mm -hmm. that could just be the florists that have businesses around my farm. You know, there mm -hmm. are those florists out there that do really well yeah. with local flowers. And then, you know, so we had our retail store, we have designers in our garden shop. And so one of our designers specifically, she had, she did wedding flowers on the side. And she's the one that got me connected to other flower growers in our area, but also gave me the idea that, hey, I'm growing these flowers and I can sell them to wedding florists. So that has become our largest wholesale avenue. Mm -hmm. um, we sell to a lot of event florists. And that's where I realized locally was the biggest part of my business for selling the fresh cuts. We've since expanded because we're just growing, we're trying to grow so many flowers. And I felt like locally we weren't going to be able to push it all through them. Mm -hmm. They, and other flower farmers in the area, people already have their connections and stuff with who they buy from. So we even opened up to the Charleston, South Carolina market. And especially in the fall, I drive down there once a week for during dahlia season mm -hmm. and deliver a van full of mm -hmm. dahlias to them. But in the about spring, how far show, away is that? How about that's how far three hours from the what? our farm? Wow. That's a okay. long day for me. People ask me all the time, why do you do that? Why do you do that? And I'm like, in South Carolina, we don't have a transportation route set up. Our Clemson University is ac actively working on getting up a transport for cut flowers across the state down to Charleston. But it's such an event destination city for weddings. There are yeah, major, money. major weddings going on down there. So I tell people, I tell other, other farmers across the state when they ask me about florists down there, I say, if you, if you need my florist list, just email me. Like there is no way I will ever be able to satisfy, nor do I want to even attempt to try. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. It's just such a big city. I wish it was closer, but the advantage for me is that they're coastal they usually get brushed by a hurricane or tropical storm every year. It's they're growing on pure sand down there. Mm -hmm. And my seasons are like three to four weeks. Kind of my crops bloom every season before theirs would, if they mm -hmm. could grow it. So yeah. it's a great Very place cool. for me to sell. Those florists are so hungry for local flowers. Huh? That's really cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So where else are you selling the wholesale? You're selling to your retail. Are there other outlets that you have, like other business enterprises that you're selling? We sell a little bit to? to wholesalers and we're bringing on a new wholesaler next year to kind of try that out. So I don't think that's where I really want to go all in with, but I'm, I'm trialing it out and we're going to see how things go. Another large part of our business is using our Instagram following to ship flowers, flowers nationwide to people enjoying their homes or to gift okay. each other. During the pandemic, that's when we started shipping flowers. And that was out of necessity because we had just kind of pulled a big move. We had built two brand new high tunnels and filled it all with more ranunculus. And so in 2020, we had gone from just growing a little bit of ranunculus to a lot. Like I 
was betting on the ranunculus crop. And of course that happened in March. March 15th is when our ranunculus is in full bloom. I had a tunnel full of butterfly ranunculus. I mean, and I had hit a home run. It was the best crop I'd ever grown. (laughs) Of course. And I'm just standing there like, what is going on? Like everybody was. So we decided to go with shipping. And the first week we actually shipped our ranunculus via the post office and it kind of worked like people didn't hate us for it. I think I refunded a couple boxes, but um, we quickly figured out about the proper ways to overnight ship your flowers. And so we have continued doing that ever since it's become a decent part of our business. There's a lot of avenues you can go with shipping flowers. And we have stuck pretty strictly to retail flower boxes to mm-hmm. kind of share with our followers, you know, what we're growing and doing here on the farm. But during during the pandemic, I would say that was a highlight of kind of understanding and realizing how much the flowers can mean to people because we were getting like 100, 200 orders a week to ship boxes. There was a pandemic bubble. I will say we shipped a lot of flowers, a lot more than we even do week to week now during the pandemic, but just reading all the notes that people were including on their orders. And like these flowers were going to people who they just wanted people, their friends, their family to know how much they cared for them. And everyone was kind of scared during that time Mm -hmm. in some way or another. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you could really feel just like love coming through our orders. And that was pretty fulfilling. I've uh, referenced that a few times, even in my email marketing, because there's been a little bit of it that's actually made me sad that that bubble ended and not, I don't mean it from like a financial, I do mean it from a financial standpoint. It was the best Mother's Day sales we ever had. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it's like we as a culture were really in tune to like the things that mattered, like stuff was slower. People were spending more time with their families and friends and they were buying things. They were, you know, buying flowers. People were buying them every week for their house. We had people buying eight bouquets, 10 bouquets at a time to gift to other people. I know that's financially not sustainable, right? But like just that act of sharing flowers and showing your love through flowers to me, I was like, it's sad to me that like, we're now as a culture just back to the hustle and bustle and, you know, we're everybody's, you know, they're traveling again and the kids are in school and sports. And, you know, I had a customer stand up there six feet away during the early pandemic. She said, I was just so relieved when this, the, all the schedules, all the sports stuff ended, all of that, we could just be together and everybody was in the house. And, you know, of course there were, by the end of it, everybody was like, I'm ready for these kids to get back to school. But Overall, it was just this connection piece. And I I think that, I don't know, it's still at times I'm like, man, Mm -hmm. it's so unfortunate we've gone back to our ways of of what we were because I feel like we were a little bit more in touch with what really mattered back then versus like fast forward to where we are now. So So you're, you're talking, Daniel, about your like different enterprises and the places you sell. Like, how do you rank your profitability on like the outlets that you sell to that sort of makes up the whole pie of your business? Sure. So kind of looking at this year's sales, things have really started to even out for us. So I would say our shipping retail sales, that's about 35% of our business. And then Dahlia Tubers, 
has become a big part of our farm. That's how we employ um, three to four people over winter here at the farm mm-hmm. with no fresh cut flower sales coming in for three months. Um, that's that's about 30% of our sales is just Dahlia tubers. And wow. that also goes along with shipping, right? Because we're shipping all of our tubers out to people mm-hmm. across the country that are following us on Instagram or growing, want to grow dahlias in their own gardens and other farmers as well. And then our wholesale sales. So that would be selling to a florist event florist or in the wholesalers. That's about 25 per quarter part of our sales. And then we do a fall bulb sale. We do holiday bulb sales and that's Mm -hmm. about 10% of our business. So shipping is number one, whether it's bulb sales or fresh cut flowers, we're very focused on shipping, but I think people would be, you know, surprised to hear that, you know, we're just relying very heavily on that. But also I feel like we could hit the gas a little harder. So who we don't ship to is event florists across the country. I do ship regionally, but I do that on purpose because when you are putting your flowers into a box, it takes a little more effort, right? It takes more time, more employees, just to do the packaging. The cost of materials is more, you're adding a customized branded box and other items like that. But also you're taking on all the risk of putting your products in a company that has no clue about flowers. And that's in dealing with the shipping companies that are moving your products across the country. Yeah, it's a lot. It's something we've dabbled in a little bit of it. So I I send I ship to a co-op and it's very, you know, it's it's regional that they send it that we send it, but even just that process and I I know we're going to explore if you're an insider with us, we're going to have an insider extra with Daniel just to sort of talk about all the nuts and bolts like to get started in shipping flowers, just sort of like what that process looks like. And I can tell you it's it's a lot of small details, figuring it out, nitty gritty stuff. I'm excited to like hear more about that from you, you know, when digging in with, with the insiders. So was the pandemic then what sort of led you into shipping? Was that just sort of it, it forced your business into that? That is what forced us into it. But we had the idea of shipping flowers before the pandemic. With our home decor store, we had actually started shipping home decor to people um, that were following another Instagram account. My husband's account is at Farm Shenanigans. And so he had built up a pretty good following on Instagram there and showing them around the stores. It was like a daily life account and they wanted to purchase stuff. So we had started and dabbled. And what I mean by that is we were like shipping stuff out of a closet in the back room of the retail store. And that's as far as we had gone, but we had figured out the programs that we needed to use and how to schedule the companies to come pick up the boxes. And we were playing around with different size boxes that would fit different pieces of decor. And really those are the pieces of the puzzle that you have to put together. So when the pandemic hit, we just realized, well, we're shipping. Thank goodness. Ranunculus ships very well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is one of the best flowers that you can ship. And we just had to figure out, you know, what boxes we needed Even though we knew what to do, we hadn't nailed down any specifics. So what I did was I started ordering from the pros. And I think 
That is how you teach yourself. I have people message me all the time on my Instagram account. Hey, can you tell me all about shipping? And it's a lot easier for me to do it on a platform like this is a podcast versus typing with my thumbs, every little detail about shipping flowers. (laughs) And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of things to that. Like I always learned all of this through, like Judd says, the school of hard knocks, right? You've learned from this through trial and error. So like, you know, to just hand some of that stuff over, it's, it's hard, you know, like, you know, there's, there's some things to not have to like, I don't know if that even, that sounds rude, I guess. I don't know, but it's like, you've worked really hard to get there. Yeah. You've worked really hard to, to learn all that. I'm always a fan of community over competition. And I think I do tend to overshare information and I'd look at it like, man, if you're farming cut flowers like I am, we all need any help we can get because (laughs) (laughs) just like, if you can do the same thing that I'm doing, then props to you. I respect it. So, yeah, but yeah, but does it cost me money to do, to educate myself? Do it? Or maybe you're taking an online class that was a lot of money or maybe just the time that you've spent researching how to do certain things Mm -hmm. or like for shipping, I just started ordering flowers and I didn't just order from one person and be like, this is it. I got it. I ordered from every flower farm that just started shipping in the exact same moment as me. But I did see a couple like when I was shipping the first week through the post office, (laughs) I saw a couple (laughs) other people have it already set up to ship overnight shipping. And so I ordered from them um, and I laugh, I look back and kind of laugh because there's some big name farms and even including myself the first year, like we were just trying to make a living in the middle mm-hmm. of a pandemic yeah. and the research was not done on exactly which cut flowers ship the best it, on our farms. We just didn't know. You learn that through, you know, trial and error. So, mm-hmm. but I also ordered from you know, farm girl flowers and the books. And there was, there was even just brick and mortar florists that I came across online that will ship you a bouquet of flowers. And I thought that was pretty interesting too. And everyone had their own spin. Everyone had their own decor or like how fancy did they make it to really feel like a great gift? Or was it like, no, we're farmers. Like you're getting, craft paper and rubber bands and flowers and that's it. No bells and whistles. And it all works. It just depends on who your target market is. What are people expecting from you? Are they just wanting to support you and your farm? They may not need all the extra material, but if you're shipping to the woodlands, Texas, where all the oil money is, and these are some fancy ladies, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, they want the tissue paper. They want probably scented <laughs> tissue paper. Like they scented want bougie. tissue paper. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my gosh. I'm a sucker for packaging though. I am. That's why like anthropology, when I go to anthropology, yeah. I'm like the box when they ship you something, you know, or even like the Christmas 
the boxes they give you at Christmas time, I'm like, I'm such a sucker for all of that, for all of that extra stuff. But I mean, we could probably talk for eons about a lot of the nuts and bolts about shipping flowers. And I know we're after this, we're recording an extra, an insider's extra on the Dirt on Flowers Insiders, just to give you guys some extra info about how Daniel ships flowers. How do you know if shipping flowers is right for you? Things to consider. So if you are thinking about dipping your toe into shipping, that would be the insiders would be a really great option. You would get that plus all the rest of our content library. So I'm sure there are just so many small nuances to shipping. And one thing that I would just love to hear from you, Daniel, as, as far as like marketing your ship flowers, because I feel like that's where I have like struggled because as farmers, we're just always like casting our net locally, basically. So but when you're can, when you have the opportunity to ship flowers, like how did you feel that you were casting that net like nationwide you know so it's a, is it a, was it a different marketing tactic for you what did it look like or were you just putting it out there on your Instagram because I know you have a really great following there so how did that look like and how has that evolved over time yeah so at first it definitely we had the nationwide audience with mm-hmm. our Instagram platforms and not just the farm also my husband's and so mm-hmm. combining that together we were able to successfully ship all the flowers during the pandemic that we needed to and that worked great as the bubble has started from the pandemic bubble and our sales as far it's just not as easy to get those sales right now whether Mm -hmm. you want to look at say it's the economy and things are slowing down or whatever the reason may be Mm -hmm. i feel like we have had to start working a little bit harder for all of our retail sales and one way that we've done that is using influencer marketing that's kind of like what we know and I say that because every farm's going to be different. Every mm-hmm. grower is going to have a different set of skills. So like, who is your audience? Who are you marketing towards? We've started using third party app that integrates into our website that we can get people signed up as an influencer to help promote our flowers. And then they can go and on Instagram they can promote our flowers. They get a link with their code. They get a 10% mm. commission on sales. And cool. that's something that we have found works really well for us. And the people that we're working with, you know, they have, they, they're enjoying the nicer things in life and they're wanting the flowers and we're able to provide something that maybe they're not used to seeing wherever they purchase flowers normally, whether that's a grocery store or, they're local florists. And that's really what we have built our business on. So interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't even know, like there's no influencer or anything in my area. Well, so my husband goes to like influencer conferences across oh, the country. Fascinating. And so that's where he networks with other people. Mm-hmm. And we have found some really good people that are just oh, amazing. So cool. One of the people that I've used this year a lot. And she actually, she came and visited the farm last year. She's been promoting my flowers for a few years now and she just loves what we do, but she lives in Michigan and she drove all the way to South Carolina to just to see, (laughs) wow, just to see the flowers. But she's also like an ambassador for proven winners. So she is like big time in the gardening 
world. And that's a good place to look like you aren't just going to be able to reach out to someone who went randomly viral on TikTok for a funny video or on Instagram or what wherever your social media is. Yeah. Because it's not just Instagram. That's just where I happen to have built my following. Yeah. There's so many avenues now, but it has to be someone that is in the same community. What's an influencer conference? Tell me what an influencer <laughs> conference is. Can you imagine the people watching? That'd be so much better than an airport. <laughs> I know there was one this year in Waco, Texas. It's the Achieve Conference, but it's it's a good conference. They teach you a lot about marketing and different ways mm. to do that. And like, there's companies out there that will bring brand deals and ad revenue direct to you. You just have to kind of sign up with them and stuff. And it's a whole nother world. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love it. I think, I don't think I'm there quite yet. <laughs> I'm not there on a lot of it. So <laughs> I hear you. You know, when you're busy farming seven days a week, it's like yeah. you only have so much yeah. bandwidth to dip your toe into new things. But that's, right. that's something I just, I don't see a lot of it. You know, I think a lot of flower farmers, you start at the farmer's market, you start selling the florist. I'm telling you right now, you can go on TikTok and now they've opened TikTok shop where you yes. can buy stuff through TikTok. There is eucalyptus that they're advertising you hang in your shower. You know, we've all seen that and we've, yeah. I've even marketed my eucalyptus to mm -hmm. do that too. But you could just get on TikTok and if you develop a following or one viral video, you could sell your entire crop of eucalyptus. It's that lucrative <laughs> um, nowadays. And there's a lot of effort, a lot of work and knowledge that goes mm -hmm. into making For a sure. viral video. Yeah, like I was that. just feeling tired yes. as you were talking. <laughs> Honestly, I could just feel myself just like, that sounds so dreamy, but I feel but very when you're tired. Thinking like nationwide retail sales, yeah. there's just yes. so many avenues. You know, you can sell on eBay. Maybe that sounds a little bit easier. That's a little more my you. style, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can sell on Amazon. There's all these avenues <laughs> yes. that I feel like we're just now getting started, but you just have to figure out what ships well. You know? Yeah. It's a perishable product. So, how can you mitigate loss? And that's the name of the game. That's a great, though. Those are great tips, mm -hmm. though, just to be thinking like outside of the box because, you know, you keep thinking about selling just on on Instagram. And, you know, I, I felt like recently I've been hitting this where I'm just like yelling into a void where it was like nothing's really gaining a ton of traction. I've been doing a little bit of research just on the algorithm to try to understand like if something changed, what's going on, where you're just like the engagement's low. And that would not be sustainable if you're selling nation, you know, selling mm -hmm. it nationwide. So getting to have like other connections and using people to do that. So it's, it's very smart. Very smart. I have a question for you, Daniel. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but we were doing our insider zoom. Like I think it was a couple months ago and somebody asked, do you think that having social media accounts is essential to having a biz our business? And I'm curious as to what you think about that, because mm -hmm. Lindsay and I, we, we've gone, <laughs> gone back and forth about trying mm -hmm. to figure out how to answer that, because there's a lot of people who are getting started. And I feel like that social media piece is like there, there's fear around it, like becoming all consuming or having to do the latest trends and all that. So I'm curious because I know you've you've amassed quite a following and about how you feel like do you feel that it's essential. Yes and no. <laughs> no, it is not essential mm -hmm. to your business. If you are very 
community oriented and have can create a following in your local community. Like I know at Bloom Hill Farm, y'all are doing a lot of you picks and that mm -hmm. was really successful for you this year with having your community come and support the farm. Mm -hmm. That where do you really need social media for to get people to come out and buy flowers at your farm? Could you just have a sign on the road and maybe tell start with telling your friends mm -hmm. and family and it mm -hmm. just snowball over yeah. a couple of seasons? Yeah. Like that's the old school way, right? And that mm -hmm. still works. You can do that. If that's what you want, yes. If social media makes you want to throw up, I get it. Like you mm -hmm. don't have to do that. Yeah. But could social media bring like an extra 5,000 people to your UPICs next year if you market it right and get on there and really create a story to a wider audience mm -hmm. about your family and your farm. And I see stuff just go viral on social media all the time. There was a lavender farm nearby. They were doing, they had been open just a couple years and they had like a Facebook post. This is a, quite a few years ago and it got like millions of views. They had like 15,000 people show up to their <laughs> tiny, like three oh acre God. lavender farm on a Saturday because they didn't even realize like what had just happened online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And so that was, you know, mayhem. They would probably say a disaster, but they sold all their lavender <laughs> in one day. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So I think the marketing aspect of mm -hmm. social media is it's a free tool to use. Yeah. Um, as you get on there and you can go so deep and make become an influencer mm -hmm. and that can be your full-time job. And then you have other people manage the other stuff. It's like, how deep in your business do you want to kind of grow the ranks? Are you mm -hmm. more family oriented? And that's the most important thing. Then maybe you just want to use it as like to let the general public know this is going on. These are these dates. And like, here's a link if you want to sign up on our website mm -hmm. for our you picks or to buy our flowers or our farm stands open these hours on the weekend or just show what flowers are blooming that week. Like, yeah. you know, even if you're just selling directly to florists, I, all my florists that buy from me watch my Instagram. So like when I'm walking through the field, like they're messaging me all the time. Ooh, I want that Dahlia. And I'm like... <laughs> That's in my trial garden. I only have two of those and like, I can't yeah. sell that to you this week. It creates those issues too, but that's all yeah. good. Just talk yeah. them into something else. <laughs> so of all, all the things you do on your farm, what's your favorite? Like, what's your favorite thing that you do on the farm? It could be like a line of business or a particular task that you do. Do you have like something that you just absolutely love doing? I, okay. So when we were talking about the high tunnels, I did not mention we built a small greenhouse two years ago. Well, no, one year ago, last winter. And I did that for dahlia cuttings so that I could start dahlia cuttings and start doing more propagation in the winter. And eventually, maybe we can have like sell cuttings of scented geranium or dahlias yeah. or heirloom mums, you know, all the stuff that's popular right now in the industry. We kind of took that initial step in investment so that that's possible for our farm. Right now, I'm still figuring stuff out. I think for me, just without the horticultural experience, like every new thing we venture into takes me a little bit longer to understand. Like if you bring in plant material from your field at the end of a season into your greenhouse, you just spread like 
all kinds of fungus and stuff into a <laughs> sterile environment. So like, yeah, any cuttings you have in there that are susceptible to powdery mildew, if you bring a single dahlia leaf from October into your greenhouse without yeah. applying a fungicide or some way to treat it, you've just introduced that to your whole yeah. greenhouse. So we've had that happen. And, you know, I just think it's important that if we are going to venture into propagation and sell in that sales avenue that we're doing it right before we start releasing stuff like that out to people. Mm-hmm. We don't want to give ourselves a bad name or give people an inferior product. So, sure. yeah, but that is my favorite thing on the farm to do, especially all winter is to just like cut up plants and try to root them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just laugh because I don't have the horticulture degree, but that's the part that I really love is like the actual plants. And my husband could care less about growing something (laughs) from a seed or whatever. He likes more of the design and the floral design side of the flowers. It's kind of funny. I guess we balance each other out. Yeah. Yeah, The yin and the yang. Mm -hmm. Yep. Over all of the years you know, from getting started just in retail to moving forward to the farm now, what would you say that would be your biggest lesson that you've learned or the one thing that has helped you get where you're at right now? I would say that community over competition has really helped me in my business, especially with like learning how to grow and farm. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't have that experience with my background and we have a local group of flower farmers in our area, SC upstate flowers. And we are a, an amazing group of growers who all lean on each other and we're not undercutting each other's prices. In fact, we're like setting our areas price standards for all the florists. So we work together really well. We share what's going on at the farmer's markets which florists are looking for what, like, and when I deliver flowers to my floor, my event florist and stuff, they're asking me, Hey, are you going to have this? Well, I know what my other growers have like growing right then. Cause we're in text chains and group chats and all that stuff. And we all really just watch out for each other. And we're all just trying to grow the local flower industry mm-hmm. as much That's as possible. Great. So That's awesome. That's, you know, that's really helped me. And then just the sharing of information like I'm doing here today. A few things that I've learned. I know people are out there listening and it's going to help them if they've thought about shipping or just sometimes it's just comforting to know (laughs) that this is a hard job and we're all just figuring it out. This was an industry that was built in the United States a what in the fifties and sixties and then seventies and just fell apart. And we are literally starting it over again and it's going to look different this time too. Yeah. Um, One thing, look at it. Yeah. One thing I want to give everyone a sense though, is I think like the future of flower farming is going to probably end up looking a little different than maybe what it does right now. I feel like, we're all trying to grow a little bit of everything and have that availability that one florist can order from one farm and kind of get everything they need. That's not how the industry was when you go back to before, you know, before it kind of ended its reign, but specialty farms, I think is something we all need to be thinking about as we're 
you know, becoming better farmers and growers and getting the experience under our belt. And that is also something that I've seen the larger farms start to do. They're really like honing in on each season. They're having their specialty crop. And I've heard y'all talk about this on other podcasts, even just a few Mm -hmm. weeks ago, I was listening to one and you were mentioning that, but that's what our farms do. And we're trying, you kind of have to grow everything to figure yeah, how, yeah, that's part what of it. At, what grows yes. best, but we should all be trying to hone in because we need our farms to be known for growing something great. And that is also another form of marketing that is going to be word of mouth among all your florists locally. If they know Daniel grows the best dahlias in South Carolina, I'm going to get phone calls from florists all over the state wanting to. order my values, you know? So that's something that we have focused on. And then peonies, one thing about our farm, fun fact, our peonies bloom. We can almost grow the whole gamut of peonies. We can grow early, (laughs) mid, and like some of the earliest lates and they, 80% of them bloom for the week before Mother's Day. So I would never have a problem. Wow, you poor thing. How do you survive? Exactly. (laughs) That's why I have 3,500 because if I can't sell them all locally, I can Mm -hmm. ship them to people all over the country who want peonies for Mother's Day. Yeah. Look at you. I think the one, Sarah Bernhardt, so that's like a later variety peony, right? Yes. That one is blooming like the weekend before Mother's Day for us. Oh, so that's kind of tells you our gamut. <laughs> I can't grow the gorgeous late ones like pillow talk. That yeah. one does nothing for like it. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't even really bloom. It just kind of opens up and dies real quick, but all the rest of them are good to go. Oh, well, I love hearing you talk about the, the connection of like your local growers and all that. Like, so it makes me feel good inside. Cause I think, you know, we, I've had people say to me like, why are you doing a podcast and you're telling there's probably other growers in your community that are hearing this. And it's like, I don't own any of this information. This is all (laughs) like, this is stuff I've learned. Like, or, you know, for us to share it and to, to help other, you know, other people, other growers across the world, across the U S it makes the entire industry better. There's more awareness for the, for local flowers. I personally think traditional florists, unless they get their hind ends in gear, that's a, that's a dying breed of, mm-hmm. you know, there's, so there's, there's availability. I think there's some, something in there for flower farmers to just be watching that industry as a whole, because it's trending away from that. Um, and I think seeing a lot of like florist struggle, it's like, they're sort of coming on board with making changes, incorporating local flowers, getting, you know, keeping their business fresh is going to be super important for them. Cause I think it's, it, it's, it's a struggling, struggling industry personally, mm-hmm. I think. And you're getting hybrid people to come in like us with our little plant boutique. Yeah. We mm-hmm. didn't even sell cut flowers, but now we do. We have a full flower yeah. cooler, flower bar. We have a designer that just works on designs for flowers. We're not delivering nation or across the city. We're not doing daily deliveries per se. Well, we do use a third party service. They come and pick up and they'll deliver to the customer. So you see, we're kind of taking on that, the fresher yeah. approach yeah. to it. But our whole advantage is that we're having, we grow our flowers on our own farm and bringing them in 
for people to enjoy. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do both (laughs) to be a farmer florist. That is a lot. Yes, it is. Yeah, but you can, Mm -hmm. you know, you can do it, or you can kind of do a hybrid version Mm -hmm. like we have. So I like that. Well, you kind of were talking in the beginning about just like having a relationship, a more balanced work life relationship. So as we all know, owning businesses is like very blurred lines between entrepreneurship and our personal lives. So like, do you have advice for anyone who's struggling with this? Like, how did you get yourself? Because it seems like you got your priorities in check. You've got a more balanced work life now and your ripe old age of 34, however old you are. Um, and so do you have like I'll take systems? 34. You'll take 34. Okay. <laughs> do you have systems or habits or things you have in place to like create boundaries within your business to give you that space in your personal life? We do, and we can still improve upon that for sure. That is something that I think takes time. And I think most people can relate if they're a new flower farmer, especially like we don't know what we don't know. So there's so much trial and error, right? I'd say the first five years of my owning the farm was just making mistakes all the time and working around the clock and feeling like I was driving myself into the ground and really overworking myself, trying to do too many things. I've taken time the last two years specifically. I kind of had a meltdown in 2021. We had a big shipping fiasco. And the week of Easter, we were still figuring out. That was new for us. It was our second year shipping, second round with a big holiday like that. And we had 400 orders that week for Easter. It was like 387. That's a lot for our farm, especially like when it's still new and going through that. It's a lot. And so we decided to ship half of them on Wednesday and half of them on Thursday that week with overnight shipping to kind of split it up. And how our week works, we harvest flowers on Monday, kind of do our florist orders on Tuesday, and then we know what we have left to ship from that. So we're working on shipping Wednesday and Thursday. Anyways, a cold, most of our flowers get routed through one of the hubs, one of the shipping company hubs, and a crazy storm system was coming through the night that our flowers were getting routed through there. And 87 of our orders did not make it to the recipients for Easter that oh, week. That is a gosh. big That's a lot. number. Yeah. That is a big number to go in um, and ask for credit back from the shipper because everything, each order has to be documented. So that's 87 individual emails and addresses and names and matching all that and getting all the information Mm -hmm. from our computer system and to contact 87 customers. Oh, bless your heart. Over a holiday weekend when they're, yeah. yeah. So I had a meltdown in, 2021 that really stemmed from that um, kind of fiasco, but it's been very important for me to figure out how is this farm going to make me happy long-term. Yeah. And so the last two years I've started doing stuff like going into town a lot more. That was another thing I think from farming and for me living like before we moved to the farm, we lived downtown. So we were always in the hustle and bustle of everything and being out on the farm, you can get lonely when the only people you're talking to is your partner or spouse. And then your employees 
And really, when you shut off your friends and a lot of your family communication, just because you're working around the clock, I still had friends and family who I love. But when you become a workaholic and start the endeavor of building a new farm, it's very easy to just put up the blinders Mm -hmm. and all you do is work. So I'm trying to gain that part of my life back. I've started going into town. I've started like running through the park. We have our city has an amazing park downtown and it's always very busy with a lot of people doing their park thing. And even though I'm not talking to them, which is kind of better in my opinion, (laughs) I can be a little introverted at times, but you're still like have a sense of community. Like we're all out here enjoying our city and Mm-hmm. That has really helped me this year. Maybe it's date night. Maybe you're you've been working so much and your partner's like, why don't I ever see you? You know, that can create problems <laughs> in a relationship. Sure. And so maybe you really need to focus on date night. And that sounds easy, but to actually do it like every week, we yeah. kind of implemented that this year. And that's really helped a lot. And then same with family. My family doesn't live here in Greenville in our city. They live a couple hours away. Um, But I noticed that like, especially it's funny around holidays is when they want to gather. But then with our business as an entrepreneur in retail, that's when we're always the busiest. So it was always easy for me to push off holiday stuff or family events because I was focused on my business. And then that's something that I've really thought about too, just to set boundaries in place for me to create a healthy relationship with work. So I mentioned at the beginning, we had a huge wreath business. That is something that we decided to just shut down. We still sell Christmas wreaths, but we order them from another farm and sell them in our retail store. And we don't make nearly as much money but we're still making a profit and we're still offering it to our customers. And I get to enjoy the holidays again. (laughs) Listen, after like 12 years of making wreaths every holiday, I hated the entire month from Thanksgiving, really the week before Thanksgiving all the way through mid December. And maybe you don't, maybe if you're a farm and that's a big part of your business, you just, maybe the solution isn't to shut that part of the business down. You need the income, but maybe it's to bring in a couple more employees and your profit margin may go down a little bit, but you can't hate the holidays. Like that sounds so sad, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I, but I think like in this industry, I don't know, just in farming in general and in just being a business owner, everybody's always talking about the hustle. And, you know, I've just been questioning recently, just like, when is enough? when, when is enough? When are you good with not, not having a dying business that never changes and, and, and never doing new fun things or challenging myself. I don't mean any of that, but like the hustle and the drive, you know, I just, a few years ago, I'm like, I'm not working crazy hours. I'm not, I'm, I want to work a 40 hour work week. And I, and you know, as a business owner, you never stop thinking about this Mm -hmm. business. You don't, you don't, you never, there's like, you, it pops up, you know, randomly on a, on the Sunday, you're just, especially where we live, all of us, all three of us live on our farms. And so you walk outside and you are in your work. So I think that's great advice to step out and challenge yourself to do things outside. I I had the same deal. My office was in my home and it's been over a year now that I got COVID. And then I was like, 
really in my house for like 10 days. I was pretty sick. And I'm like, I have got to get my office out of here. And it was the best thing because now I don't work on emails at nine o'clock at night. I have very clear boundaries. Like I don't even have the computer up in my house. I turned that into a room where now I paint watercolor, you know? So now I'm like painting snowmen for Christmas cards versus like working on work stuff. But it's like very, it has to be intentional to not get into that. I think it's okay to hustle for a season, right? Get your business going and hustle is good. But I just, I really struggle with this whole mindset that you have to just run yourself into the ground. I agree. And I think with setting boundaries, another instance could be totally different, like learning to say no to your florist who want to order below your minimum order. Like we have a hard and fast line. And in fact, our farm is one of the only farms in our area that has a minimum order above a hundred dollars for florists. And we've upped our delivery fees. There's certain things like that take up the precious time I have that I'm Mm -hmm. like, it's not worth it. Either you're going to, we have our retail store is very close to the center of the city that is a great option for most people. They can just go pick up there. I deliver there twice a week. Mm-hmm. And then, or they can pick up at the farm Monday through Thursday. I have employees here during these times. Mm-hmm. And I've just become very strict on those. I think mm-hmm. that's part of the evolution of the business. And if you're wishy washy on that, people are always going to just go yeah. outside of those lines. But the stricter you are with your, rules of business, the more people are going to respect your boundaries. I, I think if, yes. if you just stand firm, they will figure it out. They will say, Oh, Daniel's not open after three. We got to make sure we get there before 3 yeah. PM mm-hmm. and they will do it. If they want, if they want your flowers, I think certain boundaries like that, people just want to be told yeah. what, what are the expectations? And I think when we're starting our farms and businesses, sometimes we don't know what works yet, but then when we figure it out, we need to really stand firm on certain boundaries like that. And it makes our you know, life a lot better for mm-hmm. that. Also, you can create this business to be whatever you want, right? Mm-hmm. We hear that. It doesn't make much sense when we're trying to do it full time because the more or harder we work or the more we offer, we feel like that's more profit to help fund our farm or in our pocket to make a living. I've just now in like year six and seven realized that is so true. This can be whatever I want it to be. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And one thing I was talking about specialty farms. There are so many days I wish, like I just opened up a peony farm. I just opened up or I only sold dahlias because those are out there and people have made that smart decision. There's some fear with a, like what you were talking though, is like as a business owner, you have this drive where we're like, oh, more, more, more. And you end up doing more, but you're just spreading yourself out so thin. Whereas like, if that's really what you want, I always think about Grace Lamb. She talked about the ASCFG conference. That's where we sort of connected. And it was like, hearing her talk about doing spring flowers and then she focuses on dahlias and they have her farm store and they, they made, they do a great business, you know? So that's, it's a hundred percent accurate to say, you know, doing those things that you want to do. And we talk about on here all the time would do what lights you up, cut out what, what drains you, you know, and with just a comment on boundaries, you were talking there. It's like, I I had a therapist tell me once that boundaries are for you and not everybody else is going to 
like it, right? They may not like that Daniel's only open until three o'clock because I work every night until five, you know, but if they really want that, they're going to figure out a way to do it. And so to let go of sort of that people pleasing side of it, right? Where you're like, it's for me and it keeps you fulfilled and it keeps you invested and like re-energized into your business. Because if you're drained and you're burning the candle at both ends and you're not setting boundaries for yourself, you're it's not sustainable, not sustainable at all. It's a whole people pleasing thing. I don't know oh, yeah. if that's like a certain, just a small group of people, but I've always been that way. I don't know if it's growing up in the South or what that we're like, <laughs> it's everywhere, man. On that, that could be part of it. I haven't gone to therapy and I really think I could use a lot of it. So, yeah. um, yeah. but that is one thing I've learned through this business to help make life more enjoyable. And, mm-hmm. you know, Very honestly, I, I feel like I kind of blew the farm up as fast as I could. And now my focus is on reining it in and yeah. whether that's profitability sure. or, you know, enjoying life a little more or maybe starting a whole new project. Like there's nothing stopping me from changing courses. Yeah. Love that. Little exciting things. Like I just ordered a bunch of pitcher plant, the carnivorous plant seed. And I'm going (laughs) to, like I said, that's my favorite part of this business Mm -hmm. is like trying to grow something from seed. That's probably really hard to do. And even if it takes a year, you know, for that little seedling just to be like two inches tall, like I'm down for the challenge. (laughs) And so that's something I'm doing for myself Yeah. on the side this over the winter and through next year mm-hmm. to bring that enjoyment back. But I'm not focused on that as far as production goes. Like that is for no. me. And if sure. I get good at it, then I'll buy two- one. Yeah. I'll buy yeah. one from you. You hook me, you, you hit me up. I'll buy one from you. And you get those little things to sprout. Exactly. I will invest. I'll invest for you. Aww. Oh, that's great. Well, this has been so fun. Yeah. I love chatting with you. This has been like so cool to hear about your business and um, hear all the ways that you've changed. You're very wise. Yes. For your, how old I say you was? 33, 34? <laughs> Going down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very wise. Oh. Daniel, tell everybody where they can find you and learn more about your farm. Sure. Our website for ordering are bulbs, tubers, corms, or if you'd like to send fresh cut flowers to someone across the country during our growing season is www.petalpickers.com. And we do a lot on Instagram. I try to mix it up, just have some fun goofing around, showing you what the flowers look like. But we also try to include a little bit of education as it comes along. As we learn something new, we like to share that on Instagram too. And that's at Petal Pickers. So very cool. I appreciate y'all having me on today and (laughs) getting to know you a little bit better. I'm excited that I got to meet you virtually and then maybe at a conference in the future. Yes. I'll be able to come up and say, Hey, yeah, (laughs) I saw you one time in Colorado. You were in Boulder at the ASCFG conference. Yeah. Yes. You were, but you were like with Bailey and all these people. I'm like, I don't think I can go over to that group. That's like the cool kid group. And I was just like, Uh, like, Oh, They, I still feel like they're the cool kid group, and sometimes <laughs> I try to get an invite, and sometimes I don't. So it's all oh, good. Well, it was very cool. Yeah, I was just—it was fun though, like to see everybody. You're like, oh my god, you know, like to go to those conferences is just a fun. I, I'm gonna go next year. I didn't go this year, just timing wise. I was at another conference, but I really want to go coming up in 24. That's my that's my goal, just to <laughs> socialize and get to meet. Like that's the best part of those conferences, yes. just any of them. It's like you learn a ton you know, in those 
the classrooms as well, but just the networking with people, I think is just so heartwarming and you make so many lasting connections and friendships that you get just as much, I think, sitting at a dinner table, swapping like, how do you dig your Dahlia Tuber stories? Mm-hmm. You know, all of that that you do from from being at those conferences. So yeah, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on here and appreciate yes, you giving us your time today. So thank you. I, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Okay. Thank you guys so much for joining us. If you love what you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. That makes sure you miss out. You do not miss out on any future episodes every Friday when we put a new one out there for you. If you haven't joined us yet over at the Dirt on Flowers Insiders, what are you waiting for? We're recording an extra with Daniel right after this, all about shipping flowers. So I know that will be good. We have almost a year's worth of content that's just waiting for you to dive into. You can go to our website, thedirtonflowers.com forward slash membership to learn more about that. It's a $20 commitment per month and you get so much more than content. It connects you with a growing community of other flower growers, marigolds, and other sweethearts just like Daniel around the world. So head over to our Instagram at Dirt on Flowers. Drop us a comment and let us know what you want to hear more of and who you want to hear from. We're planning a lot of interviews and these are so fun. So we really want to hear who you want to hear from. Thank you so much. We love riding along with you as you grow your farm. We'll see you at the same time, same place next week.